Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock in the UK. Beautiful evening in the centre of it. A little bit chilly, a little bit chilly as I look out at the studio window onto the meadow here. And it's been one of those days today where it's kind of promised but hasn't quite delivered, if you know what I mean. The sun has been out but it hasn't, just hasn't done enough to get me interested in going and working outside, which is a shame because I need to do some car washing because uh, there's an awful lot of uh, tree pollen about at the moment, which needs cleaning off from the 68, the Boxster, and the system Porsche Abifa. Actually, it's not a system Porsche Abifa, but I want some of those stickers uh, for that when Porsche did the the heads and uh, the transmission driveline for the original 1500 engines. Uh, on a pack programme tonight, Tim Greer, up in London, our executive producer. What do we have? Uh, we have all the usual features, uh, except for a big interview. But we do have some of our regular contributors. We have uh, Nick right. Damon, we have Shay Adam, we have Ben Constant-Jurus. We're going to uh, have some Hogarthian references peppered throughout the show. Some what references? Hogarthian relating to Hogarth. Okay. See if you can spot them. Might be a prize if you do. Probably won't be. Uh, and as I look out the window, it's as overcast as it was this morning when I got up, and uh, I've got a wonderful view of the car park. Is that William Hogarth you're talking about? Yes. English painter, printmaker, pictorial, satirist, social cricket, critic, and editorial cartoonist. That's the one, yes. That's going to work wonderfully well on the uh, on the on radio. the wireless. Look, there's yeah. look, there's one there. You missed that. You see, you missed that. Did you see what I was doing there with that dog? Were you in a wheelbarrow having drink pour, <laughs> gin poured down your throat? No, that was Paul Gascoigne, I think. No, no, that was a dentist's chair, wasn't it? Uh, series sixteen, episode. Are we up to seventeen now? Is this 17? yes? This is episode seventeen. Time flies when you're enjoying yourself. Shall I do a, a, a bit of correspondence from the listener? Oh, do we need the letters jingle? Uh, no. No, okay. Sadly, no. Um, at Specutainment, if you'd like to get in touch with us. Uh, hello to Stuart Hart, who's listening tonight, to uh, SRS Morton Puppy Ewan, to the Sim Racing Bar Steward listening live tonight, taking part at the same time in a TCR race in an Alfa Giulietta around Zandvoort. Excellent. 
I did like an alpha Juliet there. Uh, on The Sims, very good. Uh, Rob Chalmers is going to be listening live between stints as Team Bernardo getting a bit of pre-British 24-hour testing at Three Sisters Cart Circuit this evening. Was the uh, Juliet Matt, the one which had uh, the terrible turning circle? Here's the handbrake. It's an easy way to get rid of that. Well, you have to be going at speed to do that. Not, that, not in a front-wheel drive car. Around the streets um, of uh, Florence, very impractical car. I uh, I loved my little Giulietta Quadrifoglio edition. It was great fun. Uh, although I didn't think I was going to like it, but I did. Anyway, it's a lovely story. Uh, Matt Hawkey Hawkins, 96, was listening to the WEC preview on the archive earlier and now tuned in to Midweek Motorsport at work. So uh, Matt Ending says, "Please tell me Gearbox Girl will be discussing the name of this weekend's NASCAR race. We'll get to that. We'll talk about last week's two. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hello to Mark Mokupalainen, uh, who is anxiously waiting to hear what Ben says about Rally Croatia. WRC making headlines for all the wrong reasons, and waiting to hear." The views of the teams about potential sandbags in WEC at Spa, says Kevin Payne, who's listening live tonight, as is Brody, who's just got home after day preparing for Donington this weekend. Uh, Aston Martin Owners Club at Donington this weekend, but no spectators there, but I'm told there will be a live video stream. Andrew Marriott and Joe Bradley, and I think Snowy as well. Uh, and all the Sunday on that. for Snowy, and I think he's going to take part rather than uh, talk is about he? it. Is uh, that- he? That would explain why Mariotti is there then. Stephen Gardner listening tonight. James Counter, EFA for him, exam tomorrow, so saving you as a Friday treat before the qualifying from Spa. Listening live tonight says Alex Saggers. Hello, Alexander. Me and the baby fending for ourselves tonight. Wife is out. Hopefully, baby asleep before I hear the cult. Is the little one asleep? Or have I just have I just woken up small Saggers? The Saglet. Uh, not sure what version uh, it is this evening. Uh, Ethan Mestri, always EFA. Love the podcast while on the road between service calls when working. Thank you for all you do for our favourite sport. That's very kind of you to say that. Ted the Toyman catching up. I'm still asleep at the moment, he says. <laughs> catching up with the download. Looking for house designs. Looking at house designs to build near the bend. Oh, yes. The piece of land must have gone through then no AFAs for right turn lover listening uh, live for a change in the colonel catching the podcasts looking forward to the weekend at Spa as many of you are Patrick Dron listening live uh, this evening Porsche Sport listening times listening for the first time live in a while hello there Chris Suku no AFAs chicken chips and salad little work and some play LMPT Spa Prologue, anyone, he says. EFA's for in pit lane, preferring for tonight's 25th anniversary. Ooh, okay, 25th of in pit lane. We like our friends in the Antipodes. Uh, Michael Denny is checking in. Patron, vegetarian mushroom risotto for mushroom risotto for Alex Ork and Jordan Groves tuning in while getting some laps. IndyCar in Texas, the joy of a day off. Hello, Jordan. 
Nice to know that you are listening in. Spoon and Orange Chin, charging batteries and catching up the pod- podcast at the weekend. Phil Anson uh, from a Shamal covered Dubai. I wondered why the air quality report was so bad. Lots of dust in the air. Fabulous Phil Anson. Thanks for lending us your ears, Phil, for tonight. Serafina, happy that WEC starting this week. Uh, no EFAs for Gregory Higgins coming from my 1993 Mercedes W124 200E armchair. No throttle body in Ireland, no sound of a second one, but it's the most comfortable, though expensive chair I have ever owned. Matt Hunter, uh, apologies for absence tonight. Uh, doing his responsible husband uh, act at the moment. Matt uh, listening in, Carol Brink listening in, Sarah Rigby listening live as well. One of many who said very nice things about Bruce Jones and uh, Andy Marriott, Andrew Marriott from the Monaco Historic. Every day was, every moment of that was a school day uh, for me. And if you missed any of it, the audio was being posted for a while. And we've got the video archive up as well via radio dot, uh, radio-show.co.uk. Let's get to the news. The papers have been shuffled in sort of a double stack ways if he was at a casino this week. I notice he's been working on his technique. And Tim Greer has the top story. Counting cards as well. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Dealing off the bottom of the pack tonight, here's the top story. Before you say it's illegal, I'm the dealer, so it's my rules. Okay, fine. Uh, we're going to start with Formula One, so I need to introduce our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Yay! Hello, Nick. Did you have a good weekend? No. Oh. Nick was commentating a on a 24-hour race. He'll have had an exhausting I had a good, weekend. No, no. I had a good week. I had a good weekend. Not so much the wife, who was uh, helping out at the kids' volleyball session and snapped her Achilles. Ow. And, oh. Oh, uh, Rachel. We are now nursemaid, yes. So I, I uh, luckily, I, I literally. This is my dedication to Radio Show Limited. I rescued her from where she snapped the, the Achilles, dropped her off at A and E. We admittedly we're not allowed to stay at the moment there, uh, and then obviously started the commentary for the VCO uh, Super Sport Super event at the Nurburgring. And Ash picked her up from there, from from the, from A and E. Oh my goodness! Hello, Bluefiend, by the way, Bluefiend, um, tuning in live uh, tonight. So, what Formula One news could we? possibly been talking about then Tim? Well with Lance Stroll taking a leading role in the low rakes lack of progress and Nicholas Latifi being exceptionally very good very good and Nicholas Latifi being exceptionally average we had no hope of hearing the Canadian national anthem after a Formula 1 race this season and as of 217 minutes ago we now have no hope of hearing it before a race either the Canadian Grand Prix has been replaced by the Turkish Grand Prix yes so one COVID hotspot to another. Fantastic. I, uh, <laughs> none of us have got our international Formula One calendar surprised faces on when that came out 214 minutes ago yeah, or whatever it, uh, whatever it was. Um, but uh, really, going back to Turkey again? Well... In fairness, let's talk about calendar first. I think we we said that was at risk from when the calendar was was nailed yes. out, oh, and we and it's not a surprise. It's very disappointing for both for people in Montreal and the fans because they have very been very loyal to F one, but it appears that they've been their their sacrifice has been rewarded, rewarded with a two year extension of their contract. So at least Liberty Media aren't punishing ah, them like okay. 
perhaps like previous incumbents might have done. Um, so they decided rather than giving everyone a break, they've decided to go to Turkey, which isn't such a bad idea because it's back to back with Baku. So it's actually quite a short run or probably the shortest run you can have from Baku to Turkey and Istanbul. Um, and the track is good and hopefully that surface will settle down. It won't rain and we'll see some good racing. So, you know, you, uh, there's, there's the elements you might think about. You know, why would you want to go to Turkey? There's, but then again, Turkey's not as bad as other countries going for on that level. And um, as far as coronavirus goes, if they're in a complete bubble as they have been, then should be no worse or better than before. What did uh, Quebecois Economy Minister Pierre Fitzgibbon say about the subject this week? Did it begin no, because... with bull and end in ox? He said, I assume he's... <laughs> He said, I'm optimistic the race will go ahead. I think we'll be able to make announcements this week. I'm optimistic. We're currently negotiating. By nature, I'm an optimist. Did he say that in a very optimistic type of way as an uh, as an optimist, do you think? Well, I read the quotes from the Montre- uh, Montreal Gazette. Well, he so, said uh, that this week? Yes. Jeez. It's pretty obvious it's been in the, in the works for ages. And it's almost certainly the Canadian Grand Prix was cancelled as, as soon as they'd actually firmed up Turkey. The Canadian Grand Prix wasn't going to happen from two months ago. Mm. There's a 14-day unimpeachable quarantine Correct. going in. Correct. So, you know, and, and obviously Canada being a real country isn't prepared to bend the rules for F1. Yes. Uh, Super Offroad UK said, "Oh, do they need all the help? Do they need help moving all the rental cars off the track in Turkey again?" Well, you know that is that is a job and a half. But I, I assume that they must be off for a while because they resurfaced it. What they need is all the rental cars to do about hundred laps each every day just to uh, get the oil off the uh, surface. Sure, we can help be them more racing, yeah? I'd rather not. Thanks. Good track. It's a great track. It produces great races. Another track that produces great races is Suzuka, and that will keep oh, Formula One until at least 2024 after a three year contract extension was announced this week. Okay, well, obviously, Toyota and Fuji didn't want to pay, and Honda did. Well, you know, that, that extends it, of course, past their involvement uh, directly in F1 with the engine, so that's good news. Uh, the race is being promoted by Mobility Land, which is a subsidiary of Honda, uh, which also owns Suzuka. This is none of this is news to anybody. No. Uh, the Japanese Grand Prix will be sponsored by Honda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I like mobility, lad. Is that Do, is, yeah. when, when is I, I when, did a lot of research on mobility this week, I can tell you, so I know all the different scooters, good. all the different everything. I know a lot about mobility, I can tell you. Scooters. <laughs> um do, uh, when is the Japanese Grand Prix supposed to be happening? October. October. November. Alright, mm. okay. So it's normally around about the same time. It's uh, no, it's September this year um, for for Fuji for the WEC. But given that we're still not sure whether we'll get the Olympics off, and unless you're a day by day, I'm not sure we'd get any of those off. But there we go. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that the Grand Prix probably because they've got such an effective bubbling system. I think if the country's prepared, it's not if you're not breaking any of your own internal rules then I can't see why he wouldn't have it. Before we move on, Chris Lemon says, this might be a really stupid question. Chris, who are you talking to? There's no such thing as stupid questions. And frankly, Nick and I have made careers out, after, out of asking stupid questions. I don't know what you're talking questions. about. Uh, I'm, the man, I'm the man who had the mickey taken out of him by the um, Sarah Cox breakfast show one day. 
Really? On a Monday after a pretty bad question I asked at a, at a press conference, yeah. We need to find that piece of audio. Well, unfortunately, I was flying back. I didn't hear it, but I, I arrived to several people telling me, oh, you've been, they've been taking the mickey out of you all Monday morning. Excellent. Uh, he says, uh, what is an AFA? I've heard it for years, never looked it up, did an internet search and nothing. AFA, in this context, uh, is apologies for absence. People who aren't listening live, Chris, um, and who are going to be on the archive later. It, it is a a vagary of, of this show and one of the things that people um, have uh, come up with. And it was the collective themselves, yourselves, and chiefly yourselves, that uh, have come up with oh, down through the... Uh, reference, like that. Excellent. Tick that off the bingo card. Um, and obviously, we have a, what people call a pod- podcast. We prefer to call it an ar- archive, but this is a live radio show. So apologies for absence for the live you see, John Groves um, has saying, uh, shame there's no Canadian race this year. Delighted Turkey's back, hoping the surface is better, as I'd love to see the cars absolutely flat around turn eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Matt says, and Tim, you'll be able to answer this, are mobility land powered by Honda? Because everything else seems to be in that. Probably, reserve. yes. Yeah, okay. Honda, Sorry, of course, we're drawing on. from Formula 1 at the end of this season. I said that. Well, sort of. <laughs> Their engines no, are, are. Gonna, the engines are going to engine, remain. No, their engines being bought out. Mm. Just being bought. It locks like an IP. Um, I, I don't think they're having any particular irons in the fire. I mean, of course, we have Red Bull um, hiring their new chief of engines, who's going to be the ex-Mercedes guy, but not the ex-Mercedes guy who thought it was going to be. So, mm. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh-huh. Moving on. Uh, now, uh, Monday, uh, the big news was yes. uh, the confirmation of sprint qualifying. You know how people have lots and lots of good ideas and then people form, uh, have other ideas and then people have ideas that countermand those ideas, but they still want to have some semblance of original idea. And the original idea kind of gets watered down so much it becomes pointless. It's called compromise, Nick. No, it's not. It's called sprint qualifying. Um, <laughs> Very good. The thing to remember is, is the point about the original concept was a reverse grid race which would then set the grid. That ended up being kicked out. Rightly so. No, no, no. Absolutely rightly so. I haven't got a problem with that. However, there are many other things they could have done. Yes. What we're left with now is a a 100-kilometer race, so a third of the distance of a Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Um, For how many points? I think think it's three, two, and one, isn't it, for the first three. So for for points, not much more than the, the fastest lap, where you're starting yourself... In grid order, so the fastest cars are starting at the front. Um, and you'll run round for, I don't know, let's say average track, 18 to 20 laps. And a few people in the midfield will move up a few Just places. Just change tyres? No. No, no, no. So free tyre yeah. choice? Free tyre choice. Also, it means there's free tyre choice through coming through um, FP3s. And on this, trying hard to go on the mediums, everyone can have free tyre choice, all, all, all the cars. Right. So every, all the whole qualif- the actual qualifying session, which will still take place on Friday afternoon, is you're only allowed to run soft tyres the entire way through it. They give you six sets of soft tyres. There's no mucky about a tyre strategy. Five sets. And then you have free choice. Is it five? You have, I think you get, no, you get an extra set if you get into, into FP3. Oh, like yes. The lucky few. So, well, the others don't need it really. Um, so then you, um, then you can, then you can choose anything you like. So, but anyway, so we've lined them all up in in qualifying order, 
and they trundle around for three, two, and one point, uh, desperately trying to avoid any damage. Um, what is the point of overtaking if you're in sixth to get to fifth? You know, it, it, no, no one's going to take any risk because the the risk, the reward is, well, one position on the grid possibly, and the risk is ending up in the boondocks and losing ten positions on the grid. The only outside chance that any of this is going to do anything of any interest is actually if someone's had a bad qualify for some reason, they'll be able to, to qualify back where they should be. So what's the point of that? You don't get the joy of seeing someone ru- running through the race for real. Or if something unfortunately happens mechanical for somebody and they end up a little bit of contact and they end up finishing lower. But it's it's the thing is, if you're going to have a race where you're giving so few points away, then why not have reverse grid? Just have a, have a reverse grid race on the Saturday for three, two and one points. Use the grid you've done on Friday for the um, actual race. So it's still the same as before. You know, you know, but then you have a reverse grid race on, on, the, on the Saturday for 100 kilometers, three, two and one points. And then people can decide they want to go for it or they want to let the Haas get first and second. You'll find a lot of the midfield teams will risk, will go, will go for it all the way through and you will have lots of overtaking. What you're going to get now is a complete snooze fest because people don't want to damage their cars. Right, and breathe now, Nick. Uh, I have a serious question, mm-hmm. a really serious question. And the question is about the question. And it is what question does sprint qualifying answer? Because I don't see it answering any of the questions that people have been asking. So it's the answer to a question that literally nobody has been asking, Nick. Well, there is a concept, you see, that that the the format of Formula One weekends is flawed. Now, in what respect? Well, <laughs> that's the concept. You take it over. Yeah, there's, there's, there's ideas that you know people can't sustain an hour and forty minutes of concentration on a single event, which is ridiculous. But you know, there's, that's that concept. How long is a football match? Exactly. Um, it's the, it's the biggest it comes, sport in the world. I know it comes from the concept that you know that well, you get a fifteen minute break there, don't you? It comes from the concept that YouTube videos in nine minutes are really popular, so therefore everything should be nine minutes, which is just the lowest common denominator rubbish. Um, you know, they they seem to think that there is something they can fiddle with which will make things better there is possibly a sideshow they think if they can put on an event on saturday that is more popular than qualifying they can therefore sell it a bit more to the uh tv you know stations and that sort of stuff but i just i just genuinely think you know in fairness to them after two races, the reducing of the Friday practice sessions to an hour from an hour and a half, that's worked. I think that has made it a mm-hmm. full-on hour rather than an hour and a half of sporadic action. So that's fair enough. I've given that. They've, they've, they've done that, made that work with a bit of trimming. But everything else, whenever anyone's tried to improve the qualifying session, it's always been worse. This qualifying session they fell over by accident 15 years ago is brilliant. So much so it's been copied by many other people. Um, None the of races, them do the races, it as well, in fairness. Yeah. The race is the race is the race, and and, and you know we've, it's been that way since about 1970 something, the 310 kilometer limit, um, you know, and works really well. But there is this concept they're missing something. It's a concept that they, they just tweak it in some way. The entirety of every generation Xer will suddenly be leaping on to watch a nine minutes of F1 action. Um, yeah, it's rubbish, but unfortunately, yeah. they're, they're the hoven of marketeers. And the one thing I've learned about marketeers... Focus groups, mate. Focus groups. That's no, the issue. The problem is, it's professional marketeers. And professional marketeers have absolutely no idea how social media works. And they're just guessing. That's and they guess point. about activation. And the reason being, is point. reason being is it's too new. 
So just guess. And also, because it's new, it must be good. Well, mm, not so sure, but then perhaps I'm just a cynic. Uh, Alexander Orkin asks, uh, right, okay, Formula One, uh, quality sprint thing. Are the teams allowed more engine now that they have effectively more track time? And how does this help reduce costs when they could break some expensive stuff and then compromise the main race, etc., etc.? So let's take well, that. Well, they get, they're going to get half a million dollars for the races for damage and a force majeure. They have a massive accent to ask for more money. Not They won't get paid the money. They're just going to have to spend more. Oh, no, sorry, they're getting the half million quid that they're being paid. But if they have a bad, half a million dollars, but if they have a bad accident that costs them more than that, then they can overspend on the cost cap to make up for the repairs. Um, what was it? Sorry, I've, I've misplaced the other questions now. Well, my um, head. No, just uh, I've got one then. No, 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 no. no, no I'm, not because, I'm not finished. No, the engines, the engines, it, it, there are no extra sessions. So this okay. session replaces Saturday uh, morning at an hour. Or sorry, this session replaces... Does it replace Saturday morning? Or something? Well, it actually, kind no, of replaces actually, no, what there is. Friday's practice no. two, doesn't it? Yes, Friday's practice two goes down from being... Friday. Stop, stop, stop right now. If Nick doesn't understand this, what the I'll hell just, chance I'll have just, we got? I'll just caught up with it now. Yes, a, there could be a small amount of extra running because right. whilst they will run less in the qualifying session that's now on Friday than they would in free practice too, thank you, Tim, the combination of the qualifying session and the race will probably be more laps than free practice two would have been. But it's not a massive amount. But yes, there are a few more yes. laps. So perhaps a total, perhaps, across the three races for this year of perhaps 15 to 20 laps. So that's not going to get cut. If they want to throw it, if they think it works, which I doubt it will, they think it works for next year, they want to run it in 10 or 11 times, then I would expect the teams to point out they want more right. engines. Okay, <gasps> right. They, Breathe they again. Would Breathe again. I, I, let, let me just run through some... Hang on, let me there. follow up on this. They okay. would, of course, not be doing any more laps if they were doing free practice too properly. Well, yes, that is a fair point. Well made. Uh, listener comments. Uh, Kevin Payne says, the sprint race concept is an answer to a non-problem. Apparently, there are people within the uh, world game of football that thinks two times 45 minutes at football match is too long. It's all madness. Don't get me started, Kevin. At Speculatement, Matt Hindman, I believe one of the questions sprint qualifying may be answering is in screen increasing the action and therefore the spectators on Saturday. Now that is a reasonable point for most races um, uh, except um, uh, various places that uh, where are they going to be at Nick? Well they're going to be at the two races which sell the most Saturday tickets ever anywhere. Right, Silverstone and Monza. Um, Silverstone and Monza and theoretically uh, in Brazil which also has a good Saturday. It's going to be Canada but... as well. No it wasn't. Well, wasn't oh, um, but, Th- that was Brazil, when we knew that Can- Canadian Grand Prix dash. wasn't going to go ahead when they started talking about uh, having the sprint race in Brazil rather than Canada. Okay. Uh, and finally on this, a couple. Right turn lever. Quality format at the moment. Great for the limited attention span, people. Action, action, action. Break. Action, action, action. Break. Action. Yeah. Don't disagree. I think it's very good. And by the, long, by the way, how long is a tennis match? Uh, well, Eurosport comp uh, seem to work it out for their uh, programme schedules. I managed to tip um, half an hour, uh, a minute of the the highlights of, of uh, Formula E in Valencia because something went wrong. That was That's OK. That was the sneaker. highlights were only a minute. There, there were so few highlights from Valencia. Uh, that I'm, you could I'm not going to comment on that. 
I have watched that. A great move for the Formula One qualifying races would be to mandate that they are free to air. It might encourage more TV viewers, says Jeff Doughty. Michael Denny says, quality doesn't need tweaking. The performance of the cars and st- team still needs conversions. Uh, Hamilton on pole again, as my other half would say. The reason YouTube v- uh, videos are popular, says uh, Tommy, is that uh, it's free. F1 is behind a paywall subscription in most countries, and now people can't afford it or don't want to pay for it. All good points. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Coming up to half past eight, Tim Gray is up in London. Where would you like to go next, Tim? What happens when it rains, Nick? Specifically uh, in the wet. context of a sprint qualifying. Oh, they, gosh, get, uh, mixed, they get a mixture of the tyres. They, they get finished. an extra pair of inter, They get an extra set of intermediates, and they have to hand them back. I don't know. It affects the tyre allocation. Why? Yes, they do have to hand some back. So they get three sets of wets and four sets of intermediates at the start of the event. If it's wet in free practice one or qualifying, the teams receive an additional set of intermediates but must return a used set of intermediates prior to sprint qualifying. If the sprint qualifying is wet, teams may return one set of used wet or intermediates after to be replaced with a new set of intermediates with a maximum of nine sets of wets and intermediates in total. I'm just going for me cricket bat to beat myself there to death. There is another brilliant, like, brilliant sentence. I, unfortunately, I can't find it, but the, the, the just, they are actually going into Park Ferme yes. before the start of qualifying, which means they're still in Park Ferme for FP3. Yes. Oh, really? And so the whole said, of FP3 is in Park Ferme? Well, they've made, there's a line somewhere, perhaps Tim has got it, where you'll be, to make FP3 meaningful, you'll still be allowed to make some changes. Yes. Which makes it, that's not part of Fermi. So what are, you, what, what are you allowed to change or not change? Well, how is that going? How on earth is that going to be policed? Obviously, they have to have Park Fermi because otherwise people just build qualifying cars and run those. Um, and obviously, that means well, there is a cost cap. Yes, um, they will allow enough time. Uh, the the line that Nick refers to is allow enough reconfiguration of the cars to make Saturday morning free practice a useful session. So what? Are, so, what, so that's like what you would normally be doing is setup changes, isn't it? So are you going to be allowed to play to you know play with your springs and your bars? Are you going to be allowed to play, or is it just going to be a case where they let them? Just the rear wing as well as the front wing. Well, normally FP3 I is think where you set your car up in qualifying. Uh, and perfect your qualifying setup, don't you? So that you don't have to keep well, changing backwards they and also, forwards. They, 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 but yeah, they do some work as well um, on on long runs as well. Yeah, but don't forget at the moment they've only got an hour to do everything on Friday morning, so they they're not going to be able to get into qualifying mode and do some long runs at the same point. So yeah, I know everyone loves them to be underprepared, and that's fine. But <laughs> it's, um, I just, I just, I, I. I Right, okay, scrap, scrap, so sprint specific, qualifying, send all the drivers, still talking, okay. scrap, sprint qualifying, send all the drivers out instead in the road-going version of the race cars in whatever they're affiliated with. Look, if they, if they wanna, why not run a pro car race and exactly. give it 3 two, one points? Yes, exactly. Run a pro car race, 3 yes. two, one points. I mean, what I can't believe, why don't they say, right, any manufacturer who's not in F1 can buy the pro car race. So mm. Porsche could buy the pro car race, stick out 20 cars, identical, stick everyone in them, knock them out, three, two, one points, let's go. Far more interesting, everyone would turn up to see that. 
And more importantly, they wouldn't care about crashing into each other because it's Porsche's money or the, the company that's not in F1. Stay with us, Nick. I suspect there'll be more Formula One in a little while. <laughs> Weight distribution. It's going well so far. Cooling by virtue of adjusting engine cover outlets or louvres. Uh, We've spent too long on this. Nobody cares about it. Honestly, nobody cares. Nobody's going to care about the, 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 the races or whatever they're called. I care that they've wasted so much time coming up with something which I'm very, very worried they're going to insist was a success and then they'll get rolled out to 12 or 13 races next year. Because it's, they, they're trying to hang their hat on how hard they fought to get Miami because they, were, they hung their hat on it. They hung their hat they wanted this second American race. I mean, they could have chosen a number of other places for a second American race that would have been easy. They hang their hat on Miami, they wouldn't let it go, and they spent a lot of money in getting it. Rather than making money, like Bernie used to, they're spending money, which is fine, not a problem, but it's, it's all about ego. This, we need to change the format, all about ego. This format change they can't with is ridiculous. But the only time... And, and they can't have Nick, it not be a success. Nick, Tim, the only time anybody changes the format of anything, whether it's a magazine, a TV show, a, a, any... A, a, a midlife refresh in on a car or in particular a sporting series it's because they haven't got confidence in the product they don't have confidence in the product for whatever reason and they haven't got the sense to see what's good and what isn't and they are it's an answer to a question that's not been asked I'm bored about it it hasn't even happened yet I'm, I'm actually now I'm going to take against it Totally, because I'm, I'm I'm completely bored with just what we've been talking about in the last 20 minutes. Shall we move on to a birthday? Uh, yes, although I did have a nice follow-up to something you said, but we can come back to that, and let's do this. Okay. I don't know which version of the jingle I had there, so I just had to let it run until... Can we have altered image? Uh, Claire Grogan and a happy birthday sometime for one of those. Yeah, we can get to to sing it live. Well, yeah, that's a good idea. 50 years, is it 50 years or 40 years? Gregory's Gregory Gregory Girl, Girl yeah. I've read a good 40. article about that recently. 40 years, that was great from something. It's square. Anyway, today we're celebrating the birthday of Ferruccio Lamborghini. Yes. The man who founded a Lamborghini. A fellow tractor fan. Uh, the inspiration also behind its most iconic models, the Miura and Kuntash, which were driven by his unceasing desire to improve and innovate. The Countach. I don't know who did the Miura, but I know Marcello Gandini did the Countach. Uh, who did the Miura? That's going to annoy me. Lamborghini Miura, most famous for Nick? Um, being thrown down the hillside in uh, an Italian job. Yes, exactly. It's born in it wasn't actually one of Cigars Fiber Replica because they couldn't not. afford for everyone down. No, indeed so. It was born in Renazzo, a hamlet in the municipality of Cento in Ferrara, on April the 28th, 1916. Oh. The eldest son of farmers Antonio and Evelina Lamborghini. His destiny seemed set in stone since tradition dictated that the eldest son inherited the family farm. Young Ferruccio, however, was more attracted to mechanics than to the land, and from a very young age he preferred to spend his afternoons in the farmstead workshop. Just like the typical character traits of those born under the sign of Taurus, Ferruccio was strong, tenacious and convinced <laughs> by his own ideas. 
As a young boy, he managed to get hired by the best mechanical workshop in Bologna, where he was finally able to discover all the secrets of mechanics. At the outbreak of World War II, Fruccio, by then an experienced and highly regarded mechanic, was drafted and assigned to the 50th Mixed Maneuver Motor Fleet stationed in Rhodes, which took care of the maintenance of all the military vehicles present on the island, including diesel trucks and tractors used to tow aircraft. I was right. Oh, sorry. In 1946, he returned to Italy and taking advantage of incentives put in place to support the economic recovery, he opened a machine shop in Cento where he repaired motor vehicles and built small utility vehicles, SUVs. It was uh, while working in the shop he observed the crisis suffered by local agriculture and thinking back to the tractors he'd repaired in Rhodes, Lamborghini developed the idea to build inexpensive agricultural tractors within reach of small landowners using the components of old military vehicles. Uh, and I was right, Marcello Gandini did do uh, the Mura, the Count Ash, the Diablo. Uh, he also did the BMW 5 Series, the A12, the original, the Incinetti Mini, the Renault Super 5, uh, the Citroen BX as well, Fiat 132, X19, Dino Ferrari 308. One three two was a good-looking car. Uh, it's a very good-looking car. Uh, he did... What he, he did he did the Lancia Stratos, Maserati Camzin and Ghibli and Quattroporte, the original ones, the Shamal. Mm-hmm. That that is that is a pretty solid CV for Marcello Gandini. I love the fact that the man who did the Mura also did the Citroen BX. Uh, and happy birthday yeah. to uh, Mr. Lamborghini. Uh, obviously, uh, he Lamborghini, hasn't been uh, yes. involved in the Lamborghini company for several years. Uh, he died in 1993, but his Spirit remains based no on the conviction that even the best can still be improved and his <coughs> desire to explore new avenues. In recent years, 2018 marked the debut of the Urus, the first super SUV that uh, opened up a new market. In 2020, the Cyan arrived, the first hybrid Lamborghini, a 12-cylinder car that used supercapacitors to store and to release electric power in the fastest and most efficient way. Yeah. So why is something that you're pressed is for if it's hundred and fifth birthday? I'm sure they do it every year. Well, massive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nick, you've got a fan. Tommy Aitken says a Porsche Cup race to set the F1 grid is the best motorsport idea I've heard in years. <laughs> oh, there we are, you see. have been trying to get themselves in the F1 uh, circus for years. Giorgetto Giguaro, by the way, is uh, the other person who... Uh, uh, you couldn't think of earlier Gandini yeah Marcello well they both worked for Bert, they were Bertone weren't they Bert one. Hmm? Bert, Bert one. one yes Bert, Bert one. one very good that is very very good very good indeed uh, more classic uh, motorsport later on this evening at 10pm after midnight motorsport it's the uh, April edition of the historic racing news show and tonight Derek Bell talks about his uh, 1995 Le Mans race in the Howard's McLaren with uh, Justin and with Andy Wallace, uh, which they very nearly won. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yes. I think everyone knows what happened. Uh, and Peter Hyam talks about Formula 1 in the 1990s, as explained in his new book, plus all the news, uh, views and opinionated chatter from the two Pauls.
Brand new rally on the WRC at the weekend. Croatia. Ben Constantinos was there and joins us. He's still in country, enjoying the beautiful surroundings. From everything that I've seen, read and heard, Ben, that was a success, that new rally. Uh, stunning country, really well-organised uh, event and lovely people. Uh, a fantastic route, just looked beautiful. And I think everybody really enjoyed driving it as well. So, uh, And then I think on Saturday evening, they signed a three-year deal. So oh. looking forward to visiting Zagreb. Uh, next year when it's even more normal than it was because it was quite quite normal in, in around Croatia in terms of COVID. Very fast, open stages, tarmac, big contrast from the ice and snow of the previous round. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and actually kind of unique tarmac, lots of jumps, which we don't normally see in tarmac, uh, but not as twisty as Monte Carlo. And there's lots of bad feelings about tarmac rallies, but uh, I thought it provided us a great entertainment. What it did obviously show up Ben uh, was just how close the drivers are and how small mistakes on tarmac particularly when you when you're relying on that grip and not maybe sliding the car around so much when you lose it it can cost you time let's talk about the top eight really uh, Craig Breen and Paul Nagel in the i20 Cooper they were eighth bit of an up and down event for Craig don't really feel like the Hyundai was uh, under both himself and Oitonak, I feel like maybe they chose the wrong pre-event test where they had tested. And I don't think they had the car underneath them. So Craig struggled. He got a puncture when he went round the roundabout at the start of what stage three, I think it was, uh, instantly hit the roundabout and got a puncture from that and had to drive 20 kilometers uh, through the stage with that issue. So that then changed his, his mindset for the rest of the rally. And it's a tarmac rally. He should have been at the forefront. And I'm afraid uh, he certainly wasn't. New co-driver uh, for Gus Greensmith in the Fiesta, finished seventh in the number 44. Chris Patterson, uh, another Irishman, actually have to talk about Craig and, and Paul there. Uh, how's that meant to work with Gus? Because you, you build a partnership, a relationship with your co-driver. What's the thinking behind changing over to Chris? Uh, I think he needs more experience alongside him, uh, not necessarily to tell him, where to go and what to do, but more that mental side of training his brain on the road sections of getting him out of the slumber and out of the kind of uh, depression that, that uh, Gus can get himself in if he has one bad stage and one bad stage uh, then affects the whole rally. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I think we saw it. It was a much more measured approach. Uh, he stayed on the road. He didn't make too many mistakes and ultimately picked up some points. He is very hard on himself, Gus. That's a good point. You've made that. At sixth position for the number 18, this is the Yaris of uh, Katsidasan. Uh, he's he's kind of impressing me about how he's going about his work. Obviously, uh, working towards his home rally at the, the end of the season. Got Daniel Barrett, a uh, British core driver, uh, along side him and you you might say that he was the third of of the top three uh yaris's but but as i say he's gaining experience yeah he was the third but there were four yaris's that were entered and one of them was a championship leader yeah. that threw it off on the road on on day one or stage one in fact yes, it did. Uh, so tacker only had one small error um unfortunately it cost him around a minute in time uh, he took two stage wins uh, so he doubled his tally of WRC stage wins. Um, and Tarmac is his favourite surface, we'll, um, but it was really good training for the Japanese round at the end of the year. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses. And again, uh, managed to get a decent result out of it. Best of the Fords, fifth. 
Adrien Formeau. That was a really good run for the Frenchman. Might have even been a, a little bit better, but I liked his attitude to what he did and his work over the weekend. Adrien Formeau uh, is a, a fourth-year orthopaedic surgeon, um, so he has a brain on him. He's a very clever chap. Uh, and actually took a time out uh, from his studies so that he can uh, pursue professional rallying career. Um, and this was his very first WRC event. He absolutely approached it in the correct way, set himself targets, kept beating those targets, came to me at the end of stages, beaming with yes. smiles and with articulation as well, was able to really tell us about every single stage. Um, and he's my new firm favourite rally driver. So he will come back for Rally Portugal, uh, which was not not planned. But I think uh, Rich Milner was so impressed uh, that he's going automatically got a second chance. Yeah, I, I think he's a, a real prospect for the future, for everything that you've said. And his speed. He, I mean, there's no doubt for me on his speed. Uh, fourth place, just off the podium, the number eight car, Oit Tannock. Um, I don't know what to say about Oit this weekend. Did he, He'll be disappointed with that. Um you mentioned that the Hyundais weren't sort of weren't on the pace. Well, certainly Oitz wasn't. No, no, exactly. Uh, he was very much uh, non-plus about the whole thing. Uh, very disinterested to talk to anybody. Uh, wasn't going into specifics of why the car wasn't working. Uh, they made huge differential changes from Friday into Saturday. Um, wholesale changes that you wouldn't usually do on a rally. It didn't help him, really. He just, he was happy to go home as quickly as possible, I think. <laughs> a weekend to forget. His teammate, Thierry Neville, was third in the, the number 11. Now, he did get speed out of the mm. the I-20, but it all went very, very wrong indeed. He was battling with the two Yaris at the front of the field, which we'll talk about uh, uh, in a moment. But Saturday morning, and I don't really know how this happens with all of the resources that a WRC team of the size and experience of Hyundai happens with the the the, the gravel crews, effectively, the pre-crews, etc. They put the wrong tyres on the... Or they made the wrong tyre choice on the front end of that I-20. And... It basically yeah. cost him anything when he was leading the rally. Yeah, an interesting one. Uh, obviously, we don't really have much experience with the Pirelli tyres. The Pirelli is new for this year, and so everybody's still learning. Um, but Hyundai, both Oit and Thierry, went with four softs and two hards rather than uh, four hards and two softs, which the Yaris's and the Fords did. Um, and the softs just... They're there to create grip in really cold temperatures, and it wasn't as cold as they were expecting, basically. That's the only thing I can kind of give them a, an, ex, uh, an excuse for. Uh, Thierry should have won the rally. Uh, and if it wasn't for the, those tyre choices, he would have won the rally. He had yeah, to great. do a whole loop um, with those rotten tyres, and that was basically it. Amazing fight back. Never give up attitude. Really, really impressive, but ultimately just didn't quite have the pace of the two Yaris's on the final day when they were squabbling amongst them. I just thought that, uh, I mean, you could see it in the car on Saturday morning, that the understeer was awful when the, the front tyres started to go away. As you say, got back within seven and a half seconds of uh, of the win. So that I-20 did have pace in the hands of, of Thierry Neville. It became a battle of the teammates uh, between Elvin Evans, who ends up in second place with Scott Martin in the number 33 car. 
I know what Nick's like when we talk about rallying, but I found it riveting over the weekend to watch the splits, to see what was going on, because it was such fine margins, as I mentioned before. And ultimately, the race win basically came down to the last proper corner on the last stage, the power stage at the end of the rally. It looked like uh, Elvin was going to take it, or she had made a couple of mistakes. He slid what, half a car's width wide? Maybe not even that. Six-tenths of a second, the margin of victory. It's another one that slipped away from Elvin. Does he take away some positives from the rally, Ben? It'll be hard to for him. It's been too often that he's been in that situation. If you cast your mind back to Corsica two years ago, he went into the last stage leading and then got a puncture on the last stage. Uh, He really is the master of, of... of losing it when it should be his. Um, and he'd been so fast in the first pass of the power stage as well. I think he took up to seven seconds out of Ogier, um and really kind of laid the gauntlet down to Sebastian, who ultimately um, didn't make as quite as many errors. It was an incredibly difficult power stage. There was so much going on. Uh, and uh, Elvin and, and all of us who support Elvin, Uh, certainly felt for him losing by such a small margin. And you could see it in the post-race interview just uh, how he felt about it. Which left Sebastian Ogier and Gillian Agracia to take the victory, another victory for the French crew for the the number one Yaris. But it wasn't wasn't mistake-free through the rally for Seb Ogier either. Uh, No, he likes to play percentages. He likes to keep himself in control. But ultimately, what really rattled him was that that road traffic accident on on Sunday morning. Um, I'm afraid I have to put my hands up and say I didn't notice it uh, at stage end of the first of the morning loop uh, because it was on the right side and we were watching the onboard throughout the stage. We didn't see him make any errors. So we didn't pick up the fact that actually his right door was absolutely destroyed. Uh, he was very, very lucky not to have any suspension damage. Um, and it later transpired to us that uh, this had happened just metres outside of the service park as he was leaving Zagreb in the morning. The aero uh, wash coming into the car was so bad that his co-driver, Gilles uh, Ingracia, had to wear effectively ski goggles because there was so much dust, etc., yeah. that, that was being blown into the car. Quite quite extraordinary. How do you feel about the, the whole thing that happened with Sebastian Auger uh, on Sunday morning? Because I know it's splitting opinion across, the, across social media and the world. I've seen the footage from a couple of different angles. Not sure what either of them were doing, really. Nobody was hurt. Auger waited, gave all the details to the police as he's meant to do. That wasn't reported yeah. quite properly in, in some uh, reports and certainly some social media that I saw, but that absolutely absolutely was done and all of the, the correct stuff happened uh, from him and from the Toyota team and nobody was injured. Yeah, and when you look at the penalty that he received for it, a very minimal penalty, a penalty that fits the regulations that the FIA set out, but you have to wonder why causing a road accident or being part of a road accident on a road section uh, isn't more punishable in the FIA road book, bearing in mind the FIA pushed so much on uh, action for road safety. And Jean yeah. Todd handed Sebastian Auger the trophy for first at the end of the rally. Um, it seems a bit of a double standard there, but obviously I don't set the rules. Do you think he should have been more heavily punished? Personally, I think with the whole idea of action for road safety, 
uh, if you are involved in a in a road traffic accident on the road, uh, yeah, I think the FIA should uh, have harsher penalties for that because ultimately, if the rally hadn't been in that position, then the accident perhaps wouldn't have happened. And and when you drive around in part of a WRC event. Uh, you are surrounded by rally cars doing incredibly silly things on the road sections. Uh, and that should be clamped down because it puts the average user uh, in, in jeopardy, especially as the rally cars these days are so strong. Yeah. Anybody crashing into a rally car is going to come off a hell of a lot worse. Oh, I, I agree with that. Uh, it may be a salutary tale. From the footage that I saw, I don't think either of the people involved were necessarily doing anything daft. No. We head off to Portugal next with Augier leading the standings uh, with 61 points from uh, Thierry Neville uh, in second on 53, Elvin Evans on 51, Oik Tanak on 40, and the man who came into the weekend who we haven't spoken about, you mentioned it in passing, Kalarov and Pera, all the way down to fifth on 39 points, which is exactly how he came into the weekend, didn't complete a single stage for the young Finn. That's a real dent to his championship hopes. Yeah, he... Well, it, he would have been expecting a lot more out of it. Um, obviously, big pressure being first on the road on Friday, but ultimately the best conditions on a tarmac rally. Uh, he'll have good conditions going into Portugal, being fifth in the championship. Uh, and actually, Elvin, by not winning, has given himself a much nicer road position because we'll be in the heavy gravel of northern Portugal. And the person you don't want to be is Jojo in the position that he's been in many times that he hates, where... The whole of Friday, he is the road sweeper and he's clearing away all the gravel and the loose stuff for the guys behind. So uh, I don't expect to see Auger be the top step of the podium when we get to Portugal. We would hope that uh, with the experience that Hoenn and I have, that they should fight back with Oit uh, fourth on the road and maybe Calais will make another uh, starring performance. A rally that everybody knows. Um, uh, let's see how they deal with the crowd situation. Mm. Let's just say that there was... Uh, there was supposed to be no crowd in Croatia uh, and there was no way that the rally organisers would have been able to police uh, the amount of people coming into the stages, especially on a tarmac rally when you are going through people's villages and all that kind of stuff. It's very, very important for all these rallies to to consider that at the moment. Um, But ultimately, it shouldn't change the spectacle that you can see on uh, on TV um, and should be, again, a fascinating rally. And it's quick succession because after that, um, only a couple of weeks later, it's Sardinia. And then a couple of weeks after that, it's the new rally in Kenya, uh, then Estonia. And then there's another gap as the Olympics come uh, before our next one, I think, is, is uh, Ypres. But uh, yeah, it's a busy couple of months in June and July. Ben, thanks very much for joining us and taking the time out. Uh, enjoy the rest of your time in Croatia. We'll speak to you in a few weeks. Thanks, John. And thank you, Ben. And uh, welcome back, Nick Damon, uh, who has been uh, in a padded padded room during uh, our rally. I've been eating Pringles, actually. Uh, (laughs) You know how to live, son. Drinking coffee, prepared with my new hot water tap. Hey, hey. Oh, you've almost got a kitchen. Yeah, tomorrow. Finish tomorrow. Excellent. I have bits of it now. Quicker than mine. Uh, About three years so far. Five minutes to half time. Where do you want to go? Uh, we're going to return to Formula One. Hooray! Was uh, that sort of like a sprint hooray? Yes. That was exactly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, we all know that uh, Mattia Bonotto has uh, described 2021 as a transition year for Ferrari. Yes. Um, who 
uh, has said this week that he's sick of all these transition years uh, at Ferrari and they should get on and actually have a year where they actually aim to do something. Uh, would that be Italy as a whole? Just the whole country? All no. of them. Whoever writes Formula One for Gazette. Would it, be, would it be One particular Italian. Italian, yes. Would it be a portly Italian with a penchant for women way younger than him in the sea? And a grey beard. Hey, it's Flav! Hey! <laughs> I do it for you. I get the stuff. You want it? I got it. I got it. You get it. You get it. You want to drive? I got to drive. Can't drive. You can't drive me. Hey! Hey! Oh, oh, where did this money come from? I don't know. <laughs> Ferrari's goal is next year. We're always talking about next year. We start the season and we're talking about next year. This is Ferrari's problem because Ferrari should be up there. Instead, they're fighting for third place and they're struggling to get that with two drivers that are good in Leclerc and Sainz. They've improved compared to last season. Let's hope they are even better next season with the new rules. I don't think seeing Ferrari fight for third or fourth place is good for their brand or history. Well, in fairness, that's stated the obvious. You can't really disagree with him on that one. Much I'd like to. In that case, let's move on and ask you where uh, Zach Brown thinks uh, should hold uh, Grand Prix in the United States. Well, he obviously doesn't know anything about the track because it's awful. He thinks it should be held the Indianapolis road course. It's a terrible circuit. Yes. That's the answer to your question. Is that, Again, because, like, is that because Roger Penske's told him to say that, do you think? Well, it, 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 the fact about it is the idea of running at Indianapolis was a great idea, hence the reason they tried it um, for several years at the, in the early 2000s. It was under the, the previous Tony George, and obviously things are much better at Indianapolis since Roger took it over. But there is a ma- there is a massive elephant in the room in that the track's terrible, and it appears you have to build special tyres for the banking. Um, so unless you can improve one or other, I don't see the point. I've told IndyCar don't I've, have a problem on the road circuit. No, because that's because, that's because IndyCar have or have. Well, no, the, the, the track is terrible, John. It's just a terrible track, a terrible design of circuit. Um, but they obviously don't have issues with the tyres. They're, they're used to building tyres with constructions to run onto uh, ovals. I've told Stefano... Have you, have, you, have, you, have you ever driven the track even virtually or for real? Just nothing to it. It's just no flow. Nick is very much like Pringles. You just can't stop. Indeed. Uh, I've told <laughs> Stefano that I think Indianapolis should have a Grand Prix. I think I'd like to see him in America three Grand Prix. Uh, but the schedule may not allow for three, uh, said Brown, talking to the Indianapolis star. I'd like to see one permanent one and one rotating one. Then you yeah, get three markets and you keep the enthusiasm and the excitement if you have a bit, little bit more scarcity. Miami needs to run on an annual basis, but now that Cote has been built, I don't know if it needs it every year. And Indianapolis, because it's been built, <laughs> I don't think it needs it every year. So I could see a scenario where you went to Miami and you rotated Austin and Indy. I think it'd be great. Everyone's a winner. Yeah, apart from the people who um, who have budgeted for, for, for Austin and Indy. Though apparently Austin is looking a little bit dodgy uh, once the uh, current contract runs out because it's mainly financed by a Texan major sporting in, inward investment fund, which is which is uh, uh, does not have as much money as it once had. I'm all in favour of more American Grand Prix. Let's put let's 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 spend some money on upgrading the American circuits to Grade One because there's some cracking tracks, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Have I got time for a quick tweet before yes. half time? Uh, this from Marco Kupalainen. 
he said not really addressing the issue of spectators on Rally Croatia. The organisers and FIA has a responsibility to cancel stages if they're unsafe or, in this case, illegal. Finland was able to do a rally without spectators. Other rallies have been able to provide tickets so they can track people. Uh, I I think the point that Ben was trying to make was that the Croatian organisers didn't want to do that um, and just made it so they didn't. It looked... I've got to say, it looked organised in some places. It looked like there were spectator pens on grass grass banks, which for an event that was supposed to be running without spectators was quite extraordinary. And Mark was sent to bring me their some, own fences with them, isn't it? Well, indeed. Mark was sent me some pictures earlier that said, basically, if you... Uh, uh, tweets from the, the uh, organisers that basically said... If you do get asked, tell them you've come for a picnic, you're not here to watch the rally, which doesn't really address it at all. Um, It was the first event. Of course, it was going to be chock full with people. Absolutely, it was. And the the accessibility is there, isn't it? Because it's running through towns and villages. What do rally spectators Hmm. and picnickers have in common? They bring bring their own sandwiches. They like tartan rugs. Mini pork pies, uh, individually wrapped in foil. Uh, It's half-time on Midweek Motorsport Series 16, Episode 17. Um, Before we get on still to come, uh, I've got one more tiny bit of Formula 1, which is that there is a race this weekend, Nick. Yes, there is. It's in Portimao again. It's going to be great. And Uh, who are we going to see in free practice making his... Uh, oh, oh. Callum Eilot. He's the 44th uh, spare driver for a Ferrari engine team, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's um, he's the one who missed out on musical chairs this year. The rest of them either carried on doing what they were doing or got an F1 seat. Um, and now he is the official test and reserve driver when Robert Kubica can't make it for um, Alfa Romeo and doing some sim work for Ferrari, I think. Mm. Um yeah, I mean, it's, it, it hasn't, yeah, he's not doing any driving because he's, he's reached an unfortunate impasse when you've popped out the end of F2, but you're still sort of maybe perhaps have a chance, but, you know, you've been picked up by a major manufacturer and, oh, I don't know. And, so, yeah, so it's possible, but I just, you know, regard, it seems very unlikely because, you know, if he's going to get a drive, where's it going to be? Probably, it, you know, mix him with Nick, somebody down at Haas for a couple of years. Um, Mr. Mazapan's going to buy Haas, so he'll be in there forever. Um, you know, and it's everyone, no one seems to want to fire for uh, Giovinazzi for some reason, but uh, yeah, might work. Would you like to hear some of my experimental avant garde poetry? No? Okay then. It's Midweek Motorsport, and still to come. On the second hour of tonight's Midweek Motorsport, uh, Shea Adam will be joining us as we look at some USA news. She's keeping her eyes on North America. Uh, we'll be looking forward to the weekend WEC, uh, Friday and Saturday at Spa for the finally, finally the first round. Yes, it's the first round and it's actually happening of the 2021 Championship and it is just the 21 championship and not going into track we'll tell you all about that in the second hour more of your tweets please at speculative and nick damon has more voices and possibly even a song in his heart now maybe we'll 
talk them out uh, of that. Uh, we'll speak to some winners from the virtual world, but we'll start off hour two on Midweek Motorsport here on RS1 with a couple of tweets. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. So, Ale Filipponi, La Filipponi, Ale Filipponi, um, has sent me the track map reminding me they changed the road course Indy to bypass the Oval Turn 1 a few seasons ago. Uh, and, and so, potentially tyre issues, not an odd one. But Daniel agrees with Nick. Forget the F1 at the Indy flat track road golf course. Not worth mentioning again. I've yet to see anything produce a decent race there that wasn't a spec series or full-bodied V. Eights. Hmm. And Shay's just sent me on the production chat. One of these days, we should hear some of that avant-garde poetry that he's so desperate to tell us about. Not you, Nick. No, I know. Okay. It's voice of a man. Uh, last Thursday, Nick and I... He's got a uh, name, did... Nick. He's called Mark. He has... He's Mark, yes. It's Mark and Emma. We do... A... do you know what? I thought we had different ones. No, no. We have Mark and Emma for a very long time. Who's one who's actually famous now? Mark does all the CNN ones now. Yes. It's very, very odd when I'm sitting listening to CNN. And I'm pretty sure Mark and Emma in the UK do all of the smooth radio jingles. I like to think that they're a couple. I think it'd be nice if they're a voiceover couple. They walk in, hey, do you want some breakfast? Why, yes, I'd like some eggs. How would you like your eggs? It was wasn't it? They were enunciating clearly with, with excellent diction all through breakfast. I'd like to think they'd on never f- met. <laughs> and work from separate studios. Uh, on Thursday, Nick and I uh, looked after the second round of the IMSA iRacing Pro Series. Uh, and that... Uh, was at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Well, virtually at least. Now, both class winners from the first round were absent, so that means we were going to get new names on the trophy. There were great battles in GTLM with the Ferrari of Rodrigo Fluker on pole position against the hordes of BMWs. We'll hear from our winner from that class in a moment. And in LMP2, Daniel Morad uh, was fighting Mirko Bortolotti at the head of the field, at least until the pit stop. I spoke with uh, Mirko uh, and the winner of GT uh, Le Mans, Philip Eng, uh, straight after the race. First of all, asked Mirko uh, what the second half of the race was like and was it as easy as it looked? So it's actually quite tough to to race on the simulator to keep the, the concentration. So it's actually good practice and uh, it's always good fun. And definitely the race, the first part of the race was quite intense with, with Daniel there, really good fight. And, uh, and then I think he had a small mistake on a pit exit, which gave me a little bit of breathing. <laughs> so I had an easy time the last 15 minutes, but still wanted to go safely through the traffic and the end managed to do it. So I'm quite happy and cool to, to win this race, actually. Uh, what was the... The key point from 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 your your standpoint. I mean, obviously you had the car set up nicely. That looked like a very nice platform that you had there in, in the Triple Eight. Was was that was that part of the the keys to your success? Well, I have to be really honest with you. I've been in Oshersleben until yesterday, testing the whole wow. week, and before that we were in Monza on the weekend. So I really had barely no practice. Uh, I started practice this afternoon. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, yeah, just went straight into the race, worked a little bit on the setup and, uh, and it worked, worked out pretty well. So 
the end of the day, I'm, uh, I think that was not the key. The key was trying to put the nose in front of Daniel as soon as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, he made a, just a small mistake, I think, at the start, which put me in a position to get into the lead, which was crucial, I think, because it's quite hard to overtake on that track. And you, if you can get through the traffic uh, in front of your like opponent, it's definitely better because it could give you a chance to open up a gap. And that's what happened and uh, what helped me to win the race. Magnificent stuff, Mark. Well, thank you very much for giving up some of your time to be with us. Thank you, guys. See you soon. Philippe Eng wins in GT Le Mans. Fantastic run for you. Well done. Elias, my spotter, he was, uh, he was spot on. Uh, to say this in a very funny Austrian way. Uh, no, he did, he did amazing. Uh, strategy was spot on. We pitted a lap earlier than we, we wanted because it, we were a bit tight on fuel. Rodrigo had very good pace in the first few laps, and I, uh, I just sat there and waited, saved some fuel. Um, but yeah, the, the car just got quicker and quicker, and uh, second win in a row. And uh, yeah, I'm just enjoying my time here. That Ferrari was very quick in the, the early stages. W- were you surprised at that? No, I wasn't surprised. He did a very good long run in practice already. I, I checked his lap times, and... Um, I think that the Ferrari just switches on the tires a bit better than than we do. But uh, on the longer run, I think he had slightly more degradation than us. I I prepared the move uh, for two or three laps and it worked out in the end. Uh, Just a small mistake by him, but he he drove fantastically and uh, was very fair. Philip, well done. Uh, magnificent effort on a, on a tough track with the prototypes as well. What, what difference does that make, Philip, having, having the, the prototypes in there as well? It was quite hectic sometimes. Uh, I mean, the lap is quite short and uh, just the way the track is built, um, it's quite narrow. Um, and I was always watching my mirrors, especially when I had like two, two or three seconds lead um, to Rodrigo. Um, I just tried to, you know, take it easy on one hand, but uh, not crash on the other hand. But I must say, everybody did uh, a fantastic job. And um, yeah, here we are. Uh, can't thank my team enough, BS Competition and, and BMW. And like I said, Elias, he was, he was the key to, su- to the success today. Well done, Philip. And we'll see you for the next one, I hope. Definitely. Thank you, guys. Philip Eng winning GTLM on Thursday before that makeup bought a lottie who took the victory in uh, LMP2, and that's your VCO victory circle for last Thursday. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And Nick, it's, uh, it's the next round, not tomorrow, but next week at Virtual Michelin Raceway Road. Atlanta, which with two classes, I'm I'm really looking forward to. Even shorter lap times, even more attractive to go see. Um, certain places of the track where you can't actually get past, you need to be patient. But it's a great track and it's a great um, event. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, thought, I must admit, I thought that the race at Laguna last week was uh, particularly good, actually. I mean, they, 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 people drove really, really well. Yes. It meant that we didn't have any random instances um, spoiling anything. And it, and it all hung, oddly, uh, on everything we said in the keys to the race. So we were kind of patting <laughs> ourselves in the back here because all, everything we said happened. And in the end, the pit exit, which is treacherous pit exit at Laguna Seca, was the deciding factor when Daniel Morad just um, you know, just 
overcooked it and ended up wasting four or five seconds coming back off the boondocks. The, the hour went over very, very quickly oh, yeah. indeed. Now, on Saturday and into Sunday, you and Peter Mackay, along with the guys from Race Spot, were on duty for another VCO Grand Slam event, the 24 hours of the Nürburgring, and you, Peter, did did half of it. Mm. And frankly, at the front of that, obviously top class there is, G- is GT3, just like the real thing. There's uh, a Porsche class, uh, there's a GT4 class, and there's a TCR class as well. Before we get to the race itself, during the race, some big news about new content on iRacing. Yeah, it was brilliant because we had a we had a question in the first couple of hours of the race about why there wasn't a GT3 Porsche in the in the field, and I said, "Well, iRacing have a number of Porsches already represented, including the Cup car and the GTE. So obviously, they felt they didn't need the GT3. Uh, three hours later, they felt they did need the GT3 because they launched it. Uh, at what the, just uh, to make a liar out of you? Absolutely. They even prepared a large video and a massive release for it. Yeah, literally in three hours, we saying I couldn't see why they'd need it. Uh, they launched it at the uh, finals of the Tag Heuer uh, World Championship event. And yeah, this is going to be a proper full-on GT3 wow. Porsche 911 coming onto iRacing. So that'll uh, be the fourth Porsche because they've got the Cayman GT4 as well, haven't they? Well, they've also, of course, got the Rough. We don't talk about that, do we? Um, yeah, which, do they? I didn't know that. Yeah, three versions of, right. it or not. There you go. Um, the race itself... Uh, turned into at the front of the field at least in gt3 um it turned into if not a benefit certainly a demonstration drive by the team that won masterclass absolute masterclass they had a little bit of luck because the team that would have come second which was would have come third which is team gb had a disconnect their bmw team gb however even without that disconnect they they wouldn't have won um no you have max benike max for sappen have you heard of him? And uh, Chris Lullum, who I, I, must, I didn't know much about. But, um, they who were was all, the third driver, sorry? Chris Lullum. Right, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Another Brit. And, um, yeah, they just, they just uh, I didn't see them. I'd be really interested in the number of how many instant points they have. But I didn't see them make an error at any point. They just metronomically turned laps that were a tiny bit faster than everyone else. It was never, it was never like seven seconds in the eight-minute lap. It was like they were a second, second lap faster every lap, really. And it was just, just absolutely metronomic. They, they stopped every seven laps it didn't veer from that in one point nearly everybody they did doubles it was two two basically just just shy of two hours ago and it was it was remarkable no one you know obviously they've got some great drivers but they managed to have the absolute perfect run unlike the favorite in the porsche class um Gianni vecchio who is a very well-known oh, yeah. specialist really in porsche in i racing stuck the thing on pole and was eliminated from the race at the hairpin after the start finish so he lasted precisely so literally turn one he lasted one corner of our oh. race, uh, and and his demise was as much his fault as anyone else's. Uh, and who? So who won that class? Can you remember? Uh, yeah, it's um, RA Esports, which is uh, Roman Grosjean's team. Uh, and GT4, what was that like? Uh, it was the, Porsche uh, victory. The BMWs are getting better. The balance of performance of people are learning no, how to choose. The BM, the, 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 no one likes a BMW. In fairness, I think I think actually it goes around the lap, probably not far off, if, you're, if not the same pace. It's just a pig to get. To, it's much more difficult to extract that from than the uh, the Porsches. And of course, there's now a new GT4, which is the McLaren. That wasn't just that just wasn't uh, allowed into this race. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it, it was. It, there was quite a big win for the uh, the GT4, but whose name is escaping me at the moment. But they. Uh, because the second and third both both fell into two issues with one one caused by themselves and one a massive misunderstanding with a GT3 car, which meant that effectively the second and third fastest cars weren't in it anymore. TCR? 
TCR, well, the, the key thing about TCR um, was uh, one of the guys, William, William who's, who basically did uh, 15 hours straight <sighs> at the start. He did And not. then his teammate came in and did four and a half, and then he did the rest. And we were talking about his, t- his teammate, right? So, so William was doing uh, sort of eight... I think, I think something in the sorry, sorry, about nine flat, nine, eight fifty six to nine minutes. You're very quick at TCR card. His teammate came in. He was doing like nine oh sevens and nine elevens, and I was thinking, oh, this is it. and then it's not very quick, is it? You know. And it turned out there was a reason, wasn't there, Nick? He lost, yeah, he lost his team on the morning of the event. So the guys who were supposed to race with him had one had a problem. They had a rig failure. So he, he just he threw out a, a request to people he knew with the right eye rating. A guy said, yeah, I'll give it a go, but you'll have to buy me the track. Wow. So he'd never been on the, the eye racing version no of the Nordschleiser. And he had like three or four hours of practice prior to going in. Um, yeah, so I, kind of, I can now see why you were having a little bit of a struggle when you started 15 hours in, in the dark, or just, just in, the, in, the, in the gloaming as such. But yeah, but it was a great, it was a, a great performance. So, uh, well done to Team Heisingfeld in TCR. Michael Schutter, Fabian Stieg, uh, Siegman, Marcel Tai, and Patrick Kabinski. Uh, Frozen Speed, Full Send, and Revolution second and third. In GT4, it was Leonard Hartenberg, Niels Lorenz, Manuel Weibel, and Nils Carstensen. RSO 397, uh, Team Heisingfeld. Uh, Sim RC, German Sim Racing, DAA by SAV uh, on the podium. Uh, in the 9-11 class, uh, Quentin Viat, Julian Schoen and Thibaut Kozabon in the R8G Juniors team won second and third H2 performance and AVA confused. And as Nick said, BMW team Redline that won uh, overall and second was... Who? Oh, Sammy Matty Trogan's team. Uh, BMW Bank. Yeah. Yeah. Then BMWGB. Yeah, and BMWGB. Marla Racing, the best uh, of the non-BMW teams in fourth position. We'll have more coverage of that through the season. And if uh, non-Full Metal Racing, virtual racing, is your thing, Tim has some programme news for you. Yes, tomorrow night at 8 on RS1. It's uh, this week's edition of the Simcast, which this week uh, is presented by Ben and Lewis. They have a massive amount of esports to uh, get through this week, uh, some of which you've touched on already. Plus, they'll be joined by James Pike and Taylor Burris. That's the Simcast at 8pm tomorrow night here on RS1. Midweek Motorsports, Series 16, Episode 17. Tim Gray uh, up in London. Nick Damon's going to stay with us, I think, for uh, a little while. Where would you like to go to next, Tim? Uh, Well, I thought we were going to do some American news, but uh, clearly you uh, want to do that a little bit later. So I'm going to to do this. Uh, so we're talking sports cars. Yep. That's the Stranglers, golden brown, texture like sun. So the key here is the golden part. Right, golden sports cars. Right. Nick, any idea where we're going with this? Absolutely not. No, this is brilliantly obscure. I do like it, though, so that's fine. 
I've always liked the Stranglers. I went to see them play at Loch Lomond when I was a boy. <laughs> Ever since you were a young boy. It's like my edit, which is... Because <laughs> I never yeah, released yeah, an instrument of this, so... Deep edit. It's almost ringtone by tomorrow. It was... Uh, they were always a favourite band of Keith Floyd, and they did uh, the theme music for all of his shows. Really? Yeah, didn't really? Yeah, good bit of his, apparently. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I'm playing Golden Brown because next week is Golden Week. Really? Yes. Golden Week for what? It's Golden Week in Japan, and that means that it's the Fuji 500 on uh, Monday ah. and Tuesday. Right. On Monday and Tuesday? Oh, like they're on holiday, are they? Because it's yes. Golden Week. It's Golden Week, yeah. Uh, so this is right. obviously a race which uh, happens qualifying always on the 3rd of uh, May and the race always on the 4th of May and uh, regardless of what day of the week they are because it's Golden Week and this uh, year's uh, Super GT Fuji 500 uh, features something new possibly is it is it um, somebody driving a camper van rather than a race car no it's more about the regulations than the, any of the entrants. Ah, they've decided to have a sprint race on Saturday. Uh, no. That would be a ridiculous idea. No one would consider that. Stupid. No, no, no one asked. That's a question for no one. No one's asked. Yeah. I don't know. Tell me. They are uh, going to try having uh, full course yellows without a safety car. Oh, so code, like code 60s. Then. Yes. Okay. Fine. Or virtual safety cars is the or virtual had to safety rename cars it in Formula in, One, obviously. In some places. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and they're not going to decide whether or not they do it until they've had a practice of it on uh, qualifying day. Hopefully without the buses and other people driving around the track at the same time. Possibly. Uh, Toyota dominated the season opener at uh, Suzuka a couple of weeks ago. They're obviously very keen to repeat that at Fuji, given that Fuji is owned by... It was was Okiyama. Okiyama. Yes, you know what I mean. Suzuka's next. I saw what you were doing there. You'd move forward instead of backwards. Yes. This when weekend. did they stop calling Okiyama? When did obviously it was Aida, which we had the two Grand Prix mm-hmm. in the early nineties. And they, why have they changed the name? Was, it, was Aida a, a, a company or something, a sponsor? I Okiyama? don't know, but it changed around the turn of the millennium. I, if you know, please tell me on answer. Ask me right Yeah, because yeah, why would it change it? I mean, it wasn't like it was a sponsorship. I mean, it's a fascinating question about Aida, isn't it? Oh, we don't know. They're, don't know they're all girl groups from comedy groups, don't they? I just let it go. Um, <laughs> no, that's frozen. It's the brilliant, it's the brilliantly named uh, Takanoko Hotel Fuji GT 500, and we'll be talking more about names of uh, events later on in the show uh, at Specutainment, if you don't mind. Uh, We'll Thank be joined by uh, Shay for that. Mm. Yes, we will. Uh, and in the uh, GT300, uh, obviously the GR Supra and the uh, GTR GT3, the favourites, but uh, also uh, a Lamborghini entered into that. So 
might not necessarily go the way of a Japanese mark. We shall see on uh, Tuesday, and uh, hopefully we'll have a report on that next week in Midwick Red Sport. Uh, US news now, and we'll start with some uh, sad news, I'm afraid. The uh, death in a plane car crash of former IndyCar and sports car racing Bill Whittington. Uh, along with his brothers Don and Dale, were the only three brothers ever to qualify for the same Indianapolis 500. Uh, according uh, to uh, one of his teammates from years ago, Randy Lanier, uh, he was giving a plane ride to a friend who had terminal cancer when the plane came down near Winslow, Arizona. And sadly, uh, the remains of uh, two males found in that by the local sheriff's department. Uh, he won the 1979-24 Hours of Le Mans uh, along with his brother Don and Klaus Ludwig, a somewhat controversial character. Uh, he and his brother Don were convicted of drug smuggling and other charges and served time in prison uh, back in the 1980s uh, when he was part of the uh, IMSA series. Uh, the Whittington brothers, Bill and Don, uh, were always close to aviation, especially after their auto racing days had ended. P51 Mustang uh, was what they raced, and they raced them at the Reno Air Show. Uh, Whittington's part of uh, one of the golden eras of IMSA. Uh, and uh, we pass on our condolences to his family and his friends. Uh, perhaps Chip Ganassi said it best on a tweet this week. They still have many friends in motorsports as well. Colourful past, of course, you can't deny that. But I like Chip's tweet earlier on this week. RIP Bill Whittington, you had your crosses to bear, but you checked every box in life, my friends. We will with miss you always. That's uh, the... That's, uh, a sudden death in a plane crash of Bill Whittington uh, killed uh, earlier this week. Uh, let's bring Shea Adam uh, uh, into the conversation. Hello, Shea. Hello. Uh, how are you this week? Yeah, I'm doing well. How about you? All, all very well. All very well. Uh, Bill Whittington bought Road Atlanta as well. Uh, your, your dad would have raced against Bill, yeah? Yeah, it's actually funny. I was home not too terribly long ago, and we we went to Canyon that night that I was taunting you with all the pictures on social media, and we were actually talking about Bill Whittington and the oh. fact that when he was standing on the grid about to take that start at Le Mans, Porsche came over and said, um, we would like to put different drivers into your car. Bill said no, and they said, well, we own the car. So Bill went in, got a bag full of cash and said, not anymore. It's my driver's, my car. So uh, you talk about doing the right thing at the right time. That, that was, was the Bill Le Mans, That was legacy. the Le Mans win. That was the Le Mans yep. win. Wow. That was, what was it, 74, I think you said? Uh, yeah, I think so. What did I say? Yeah. Uh, 79, <laughs> 1979. 79, yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my goodness. My goodness me. Uh, Tim, where do you want to start with Shea on the US news? Uh, let's start with some IndyCar. Uh, and IndyCar. Yes, they were at St. Petersburg Ooh. last weekend. They were at Texas this weekend. We'll go on to Texas shortly. But St. Petersburg, I was asked uh, 
what I'd rated out of 10. And I gave it 6 out of 10 because I didn't think it was as good as Barber the previous week. Um, but apparently most fans are giving it 8. Mm, I would agree with you, Tim, yeah. on that. Um, the start of the race was fascinating. And then they settled into what was going to be a fuel save race, which... It was a fuel, they, yeah. They have too many of those for, for my taste. If they just went flat out and actually like drove the cars as hard as they possibly could more often, I think it would lead to more entertaining racing. But then a couple of late race cautions made things a bit more spicy again at the end where you had different teams, different power plants on different tire strategies. And that did make things interesting again. But there was a very long period in the middle of the race where, all right, it was a Sunday morning. I'd woken up not too terribly long before. I might have considered a Sunday afternoon nap if I'd been in the right time zone. I fell asleep when I was watching it the first time. Now, in fairness, I had been up at four o'clock or thereabouts <laughs> both of the previous mornings. Uh, and so I started to watch it. I saw about a lap and a half and I woke up and it was finished. But I hadn't yeah. seen it. So <laughs> I, I, I hadn't seen it. I mean, the whole three hours of the broadcast was finished. And yeah. my... Uh, my DVR had defaulted to whatever channel it had been on before. So I still had no clue. So I stumbled into bed and watched it the next, <laughs> uh, the next morning uh, instead. In uh, it, it, it showed really well on television, Shea. It did. The, the ratings were better than those of Barber, which I think possibly goes back to the fact that, as, as Tim said, Barber was a very good race and people were sort of expecting a, a bit more out of St. Petersburg. It was a clinic by Colton Herta. No denying that. Justin Newgarden did get close. He came very, very close to winning three races in a row at St. Petersburg. But it just goes to show that all this worry that had been spouted off by certain people about, oh, the seasons are ruined for Colton Herta and Joseph Newgarden and Ryan Hunter Ray after one weekend where they crashed. No, no, they're fine. They they know how to race, and they were back up at the front. The weird thing was that Alex Palou, who was the race winner at Barber and who did such a good job holding off power in Dixon, was kind of a ghost all weekend as far as the times went. But, and as a vagary of finishing positions and the way that the IndyCar points are handed out, Scott Dixon finished third and fifth in the first two races of the season, and he's still third in points yeah. behind two guys who have worse average finishes than he does so far in the season. Uh, Rossi doing what Rossi does. Oh, Rossi uh, did not show very well. Um, he was racing his way back up through the field and, and driving very well until he didn't and had a coming together with Graham Rahal twice, actually, within two corners. It wound up damaging Rossi's car in the form of a flat tire he had to putter back around to the pit lane. But in terms of Andretti cars, not a great weekend. James Hinchcliffe, uh, as he put it on social media, got sautoed. Uh, there was blame on, on both of them, from my opinion. But between him, between Rossi, and then Hunter Ray was just sort of anonymous through a lot of the weekend. Colton Herta really showing once again, he is the team leader for Andretti. Interesting to see the difference in strategy for something in particular and that something was the cooling vent on top of the aero screen which yeah. uh, hadn't been tested by anybody in 
the wind tunnel. They thought it might add about five or ten pounds of downforce to the car, but they didn't really know. That was a bit, if you pardon the pun, of, of, of sticking a finger uh, in uh, in the air for that. <laughs> um, however, a few drivers seeing that they were really struggling, not necessarily just from the heat, but from the humidity behind the aero screen. Yeah, welcome to Florida. Uh, not a lot of air movement with the aero screen to begin with, so you do sort of get your own little sauna effect in there. Interestingly enough, uh, Alexander Rossi and I believe Jimmy Johnson was the other driver that I noticed running that extra vent coming off of the top of the aero screen in effect to try and move a little bit more air through. But neither of those drivers ultimately proving to be super competitive and passing people down the straights at, at one point. Rossi even had the push to pass engaged and he couldn't get around. I think it was Pagano he was battling with. Could be wrong on that. Um, but it did prove to be perhaps a little bit of a driver comfort in one sense, mm. but a driver frustration in another sense that it was slowing the car down. Tim? Uh, among the sport races, he mounted MX5 car. Oh, yes. and, uh, yeah. I was going to say two great races. The second one a lot better than the first, I think. Yeah, I think that's reasonable, uh, Tim. Uh, it was, however, it was when you put them together, Shea, in in context of the season and context of the weekend, particularly for the top of the championship, it was really intriguing. We had Gresham Wagner, uh, who had transmission problems, wasn't it? And, and then a meltdown <laughs> in pit lane and basically was playing basketball with a $1,500 carbon fibre helmet and just th- bouncing it on the floor. Uh, so that was a bad result for him. Uh, first race won by Hickson Motorsports' Celine Roland. Uh, so another race win for him. And then Celine ha- clipped the wall in the second race and he dropped down when he'd been fighting as high as second. Uh, so it, it, it was an interesting one. I think both of the races had, had things to... Uh, to remark on second race, though I think Tim's right was a wee bit better. It was. It was um, a little bit more consistent through consistency through competitiveness. We had a few less cars stopping by the wayside. Although Aaron Johnson with that giant fireball yep. at the exact same part weekend. of the track. Well, and and Drake Kemper, too. And by the way, uh, just a quick update on that. Drake is anticipating that he will be ready to race at Mid-Ohio, which is their next round. I don't know why I thought it was all the way to Road America, but I kept saying that all weekend, so I apologize. Um, But Drake said that if he is mentally and physically fit, the team has assured him that a car will be ready for him. It it was a difficult weekend for both Drake and Aaron and the, the whole team for provision. But in terms of consistency... Michael Carter had a phenomenal weekend, as did Luca Mars, who's in the running for the rookie championship. I went through and did my final tabulations this morning on everybody's uh, finishing results. Luca was very consistent inside the top 10 in both races. And speaking of inside the top 10, how about Lonnie Unser, the first woman to finish inside the top 10 in two races on a race weekend for the MX-5 series? That shows a lot of promise to come. And as you said, we're only halfway through this year. There's still a lot more that can come points-wise, but we did see the beginnings of the difference between a championship contender 
and just drivers who were fast. Yeah, and, and a shout out to Jensen Oldsman, who's had a mixed start to yeah. his season, having been caught up in someone else's accident at, at Sebring, although he did have an accident of, of his own at Daytona. Finished fourth in the first race and raced up to the uh, just outside the top 10 in race two. Now sits in 15th uh, in the championship on 920 points, but with 350 points for a win, uh, still within striking distance, Michael Carter comes away from the weekend with uh, the top spot by I make it 130 points to Gresham Wagner in second, who's 200 yeah. ahead of Celine Roland. Chris Noons moved up into fourth position. That was a good weekend for Chris as well. It was a very good weekend for him, and more importantly for him in terms of the rookie championship as well. I believe it's Noons, then Paley, then yeah. Johnson after this Correct. weekend. So quite a big shakeup as far as rookies are concerned. Let's move on to Texas, Tim. Uh, don't say a word about Texas. All right, you can. It's a bit of a <laughs> bellwether track for the IndyCar Championship. Really? Nine times out of the last 20 years, the winner of Texas has gone on to win the championship. Is that, that's a great uh-huh. stat. That's a sheer stat. Do you want yeah. to tell you who those nine drivers were? No, no, we really don't have time. <laughs> and, be, and besides, my, my, my threshold for stuff I don't need to hear after all that chat about qualifying sprint thingies earlier on has been lowered <laughs> considerably four of them were scott dixon so <laughs> yeah, there you go <laughs> no that's that's quite funny full circuit well, at the weekend yes um can i just throw this out there really quickly yes. there is very bad weather moving the way of texas yes. this weekend i will be shocked if both races get off and also um sro whatever that's being called now they're supposed to be racing at coda this weekend same thing john we know what it's like at coda when it rains and uh oh, yes, yeah sorry. seeing yeah. the forecast it's ugly yeah sorry texas uh not coda but i knew there was coda uh, as well this weekend thank you for digging me out of that it's time um, for us to find out how much uh, shay knows about texas motor speedway oh, oh and, boy. Uh, nick and john you can, you can join in as well yeah, I've been there. I've never Marvelous. been there, so I'm a little scared. Been there a couple of times, actually. I know where it is. It's in Texas. Excellent. <laughs> no yeah. IndyCar driver has competed in all 32 of their races at Texas Motor Speedway. Scott Dixon and Tony Kanaan have the most starts, but how many races have they started there? Oh, um, 20? Each each guy twenty. It's twenty one each. Oh, are you not offering the questions out then? Because Nick and I were both going to say twenty one, weren't we, Nick? Well, I think you know, <laughs> obviously, obviously it's twenty one. You can both have uh, have a point then. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, double <laughs> header at Texas this weekend. When was the last time there was a double header at Texas? Mm. I don't think there's ever been a double header at Texas. There have been. Um, okay. 2017. No, it, it's been 10 years, maybe? It has been 10 years, Shay. 2011. Oh. <laughs> Quality. Who was the winner of the first uh, IndyCar race at Texas Motor Speedway? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to guess 
somebody from a long time ago. What's uh, it, Inter-Coral Cart? Elio? Uh, not Elio. IRL or Cart? IRL. Okay. IRL, okay, uh, Tennis Jet. No. That's a good guess. Uh, Paul Tracy. No. Buddy Lazier, he wins everything in IRL. Uh, no, but it's close. <laughs> in real life. <laughs> European driver. Uh, Harry Lyndike. Harry Lyndike's correct. Very good. Nice. Very good, Nick. Yeah. What is different about this year's race uh, compared, or this year's races compared with all thirty-two previous editions? It's this Plot year. Clockwise. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're turning right. They're not. <laughs> they're reversing. Um, one at day and one at night. Uh, no, that's not unique. Uh, all thirty-two editions I've, previously. I've were right, held well. in June, and these ones are going to be in May. Wow. I, thought they were combining, I thought they were combining it with the Texas running of the bulls. Mm, <laughs> interesting crossover sport. Excellent. Rodeo slash racing. There are 12 drivers entered this weekend who have previously led laps at Texas Motor Speedway. Can you name them? Scott Dixon. Yes. Is four uh, of them. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, <laughs> Scott Dixon is 674 of them. That, there you Holy. Go. Yeah. Uh, Graham Rahal, James Hinchcliffe, Rahal, Simon Pagano, Will Power, yeah. Joseph Newgarden, um, Tiku Masato? No. Oh, yes. Uh, Tiku Masato led 60 down. laps. Yes, you're right. Graham Rahal? We've said that. I said him. Oh, he sorry. won it. Yeah. Uh, I've, I don't know. I'm uh, just going through the entry list in my the head. The ones at this you point. missed were <laughs> Ryan Hunter Ray, Ed Carpenter. Uh, Alex Rossi and Marcus Ericsson, who led two laps uh, last year. Ah, good for Marcus. And finally, who is the only rookie in the field this week? Scotty Mack. Is correct. Very good. Shall I move on to a bit of IMSA news? Yeah. I have another question for you about IndyCar. All right, go on. Has Jimmy Johnson finished the St. Petersburg race yet? (laughs) That's harsh. More to the point, as he found reverse. <laughs> well, that's often a problem for many racing drivers. No, no, no. Listen, that, that's something I can now honestly say. That's something that I have in common with Jimmy Johnson. Although mine was my first car race ever. And I couldn't find reverse in a... For, I hadn't asked where reverse was. And I couldn't find it. And it had an interlock on it on a Ford Fiesta at Croft. Jimmy, of course, <laughs> has failed to find reverse at two consecutive circuits now. Sounds like it's when I was listening to the radio, it sounds a bit like how you get reverse in the the radical SR3 that I drove. In that, it kind of isn't really a reverse gear as such, it almost sort of, um, it sort of almost uses, um, a, a drop cog or something to turn it round, and you've got to be really careful about not putting any throttle on when. Um, when you're trying to do it and just let the thing crawl back, almost like putting it on the starter motor and letting it crawl uh, back or forward. Um, and you've got to like press two buttons together uh, yes. less than three seconds, but more than one second apart. All of that. Yeah. All of that. All of that. Well, standing on one foot. 
and whistling. Uh, the Marseillaise. The Marseillaise. No, 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 no. Surely it would be the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, on the subject of Marseillaise and Star Spangled no Banner. Yes, this is something that really annoys me. <laughs> All right. When they were performing the national anthem ahead of the race, which drivers did uh, NBC offer close-ups of? Not no Americans. The first three yeah. drivers they showed yeah. were two Canadians and a Frenchman. Yes. I did notice yes. that as well. Yeah. I did notice that as well. I picked well. up on that too. Uh, Matthew Hyman says, Texas doubleheader. Wasn't that that doubleheader where uh, Dario won the first race uh, and then the drivers had to pick their positions for the second race? Uh, Dario, having won, went last and only had the last position open. I, rem- I, I I sort of remember that um, at, at the Texas Jewel in the Desert or whatever it was called. Um, I, I, I don't know if he was dead last, but he was certainly the lowest of the people who had to pick. I think uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely right. Shall we do a bit of IMSA news? Let's do a bit of IMSA news. Can I, can I do a very quick callback first? Yes, yes, go on. I have an answer to my question. Oh, about AIDA. Yes. Mm. It's, uh, unfortunately, it's all procedural company law. Ah. Here we go. It's from Marco Kupalainen. And he yeah. says, in March 2003, Tanaka International Company, parent company of TI Circuit AIDA, applied for civil rehabilitation, which I assume is being bailed out in Japan. Yeah. Unimat Holding announced that it would financially support TI Circuit in keeping the facility open. The company was then renamed Okiyama International Circuit Company. Every day is a school day at Spectrum. So basically, this is exactly the same thing as what went wrong with the, with the Star Wars prequels. It became about tax affairs rather than shooting aliens. Mm. This is not about motor races, this is about company bankruptcies. Okay. Japan Fine. is an area where we The problem with the Star Wars really prequels was Jar Jar. <laughs> the yes, problem with right. the Star Wars prequels is someone made them. <laughs> yes, good point. <laughs> Let's move on to IMSA. And uh, the Carrera Cup North America champions are to be awarded with an additional uh, prize at the end of the se- season. Uh, Cayman Kind Trip of a Lifetime. As the Cayman Islands Department of Tourism and Porsche Motorsport North America announced the Cayman Islands will be the official title partner of the Porsche Carrera Cup North America in its uh, inaugural season in the US. So we will be seeing quite a lot, Jeremy and I, the Porsche Carrera North America, Porsche Carrera Cup North America, presented by Cayman Islands. You'd better practice um, that then. And when they get there, will they, will they be made to dance the Macanrena? Macanrena. Macanrena. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, uh, the Cayman uh, Islands Department of Tourism. Cayenne pepper. Yes, yes. <laughs> the uh, the Cayman Islands Department of Tourism, or CDOT, uh, will have an on the ground presence at eight venues as part of the Carrera Cup North America, presented by the Cayman Islands. See, I can do it. Uh, as well as with some other <laughs> Porsche uh, Motorsport North America related activities. All of the classes, uh, that's Pro Pro-Am and Pro-Am 991, will have an opportunity uh, to experience the culture shared by the residents of the three islands. Uh, they will be allowed to take a guest for a five-day, four-night stay at a luxury property, including air transportation and hot- airport hotel uh, transfers. 
uh, and uh, and and I, uh, Jeremy has already suggested that uh, we we should be there to do the end of season awards, and I was yeah. I was about to say, stand in line, sure, stand in line. <laughs> Uh, well done to well, all who've have made that happen. Well, John, it would be a lot easier to get the name of the series right if we'd had some time on a beach to practice saying it. That's over a and over very, again. very. It's, it's known as the culinary capital of the Caribbean, by the way. So I've been there. Have you? It's lovely. Oh, oh yeah, we went there. Um, the U.S. Air Force used to have air shows on the beach of the Cayman Islands. So one year we went with the Makos and you lay in the water and watch these F-16s oh, go flying overhead. Cool. It was awesome. Very, very cool. Uh, look forward to that. That will start at the next time we have a round. Other than that, it's been fairly quiet on the IMSA front, other than to say, for those of you in the US, that NBC have added uh, some additional coverage of IMSA this year, Shea. Some additional live coverage. What is that? Oh, Virginia National Raceway, Michelin GT oh, Challenge. yeah. Okay, so, but wasn't that already slated to be live coverage for Petit Le Mans during that window? Exactly. Because it's on the same weekend. Correct. So, although it's it's live coverage of a different event, it's still the same event weekend. Correct. Uh, but it, it, it counts as uh, Billy Bonus coverage because Petit Le Mans will still be uh, covered on its November date. So, good that they haven't given up the airtime to something else. Um, and that will include the new Porsche Correct. Carrera Cup North America presented by the Cayman Islands uh, that weekend uh, as well. What else do we have? I think that was about all from the IMSA news. Uh, a little bit more indie news before we move on. Well, before we go back to Indy, obviously we need to mention that uh, the Porsche Sprint Challenge Great Britain uh, will this year be called the Porsche Visit the Cayman Islands Sprint Challenge Great Britain. That's for, that is for Porsche Caymans, isn't it? That is, yes. <gasps> Yeah. That's brilliant. So is that Cayman GT4s? They're all Cayman GT4s, effectively, are they? Yes. I think they need to have a VIP car in that. <laughs> a Cayman Island-sponsored VIP car. In fact, we, we've we got a, a, a livery, Nick, haven't we, for a Cayman GT4? An I, RSL livery. I'm even looking at it now. I got a, um, Darren Wood very kindly did a, did a, did a download picture it is on my wall. Uh, our pictures of the main, various RSL cars we campaigned. The very, you've got two versions. You've got the very attractive RSL version, or the uh, Race Remembrance version. Oh yes, the Race of Remembrance, which Ooh, was yes. a prize-winning uh, prize version. Yes. 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 Mm. yes. Uh, let's uh, go back to Indy because Andretti yes. <laughs> have announced uh, two additions to their young driver program: uh, Seb Weldon and yes. Oliver Weldon. Yeah, which is a wonderful story. It was announced this weekend in St. Petersburg, where the boys are based out of for their karting exploits. And they are both very, very good. They came first and third in a national karting competition this year, earning them that Andretti family honor. So it's very good to see those boys coming into the racing ladder. And those are names that we are going to be hearing a lot more from. Uh, let's move, uh, stay with sports cars, uh, but move to the WEC and our RSL voice of all things ACO, including the WEC, is Johnny Palmer. You'll have another chance to hear uh, JP uh, and I discuss the 2021 season and this weekend's opening uh, event after Historic Racing News tonight. Evening, JP. Good evening, John. Evening, everybody. Uh, 
and uh, I don't want to preempt if, if people haven't heard it. I don't want to preempt too much about what we said, but we've had time to digest the timing sheets from the prologue, and so has everybody else. Uh, Toyota saying that they would like the LMP2s to be uh, hamstrung even more than they have been. And the answer from the ACO and the WEC has been what, JP? Um, well, I mean, we, we have learned that the Toyota is actually going to be a little bit faster or have more horsepower to its disposal than we'd at first expected because the regulations indicated 670 HP. But that's actually apparently a Le Mans figure, and Pascal Vasselon was explaining earlier on in the week that they'd be given 700 horsepower around Spa, and I think the same is going to be adopted for all the WEC tracks. So shorter tracks, slightly bit more horsepower, but but otherwise I don't think there's going to be any adjustment, and uh, the ripple no. down effect is going to be eff- going to be felt throughout the whole of the field because Alessandro Pierre Guidi's gone on record saying, you know, it's affecting us in the GTs as well, and we are going to struggle a bit more than in the past through traffic because the prototypes are that bit slower, particularly down the Campbell Strait. The, uh, the top speeds have been um, been remarkable, uh, remarkably slow <laughs> from <laughs> the from the, the, the hypercars uh, and indeed the Recycled Rebellion, the, the Alpine. Um, all sorts of finger pointing uh, in terms of whether there's been some hiding of performance, uh, particularly in Sector 2 over the weekend, which includes the the uh, Kemmel, the end of the Kemmel Street and then down the hill uh, on the on the other side. Uh, what would be... Uh, I don't understand what would be the point of that, given that there's only three cars in the championship for now, um, uh, other than to try and get the LMP2s slowed down. And they would have had to have colluded for that because... Uh, I know that I know that the rebellion now Alpine has had quite a lot of weight put on it, uh, quite a lot of horsepower taken away, 100 horsepower taken away from that car. But but they they are significantly slower than they were in 2020 and, and 2019 in, in particular. So I, I don't see the point of of Alpine and, and Toyota Gazoo Racing getting together uh, with that unless it's just that they are they worried about reliability. Uh, I think it's got to be a, a concern because the Toyotas are brand new out of the box and, you know, they are already on the back foot of Toyota Gazoo Racing with the number seven car uh, stated that the eight had already been involved in a pre-event test, but the seven car is much, much newer and they, they've been trying to iron out uh, a number of problems with that. And, you know, look at the times. There were four sessions this week. Only one of them saw a Toyota quicker than... Uh, the, the fastest LMP2. Um, and you had the eight car of Buemi, Nakajima and Hartley outpacing the 22 car of, uh, well, it would have been an Albuquerque time with Fabio Scherer and Phil Hansen in that car. Then the 36, which is the grandfathered now hypercar from LMP2. And then the seven Toyota. So it's a weird old order. Uh, and it was uh, it, it was the afternoon test of the second day uh, that finally saw a Toyota as the fastest car. But I can't see that that's deliberate. Because otherwise, you're just tangling yourself up with the rest of the LMP2 field. You, you'd want to be clear of that, particularly when we get to qualifying on, on Friday. Uh, LMP2 have already been given 20 kilograms uh, and a, a reduction around about 30 horsepower, 27, 28 uh, horsepower. Um, and that, remember, 
is on top of them being pulled down 40 horsepower from their original 600. So they're not exactly being uh, stressed, JP. Um, I was impressed at how consistent the P2 cars were, in, particularly in, in terms of top speed. There was a little bit of a difference, probably um, six or seven um, kph but all of the top drivers seem to be driving their lmpts at about the same speed which suggests to me that it's going to be very very close this weekend it is uh, entirely and um i think we've got the interesting overlap of pro-am entered cars they're no different they're no heavier or lighter exactly the same power and uh, effectively the same chassis as well with the exception of the of the Ligier entered by ARC Bratislava but you and I uh, spoke in, in the preview you can hear later that if we do have a mid-race safety car and the bronze drive time's already out of the way then very easily we could have all 14 cars gunning it out for the lead effectively because there's, there's then nothing that separates them and the depth of talent throughout that 14-car field, particularly when you get to the gold and the platinum drivers, is so impressive. Um, it, it's going to be one long line of P2s trying to fight the way potentially past the hypercars um, on course for an overall podium. I mean, why not? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the risk is that everybody gets starts to trip over one another because this is uh, very much feeling our way through the dark for the first round and quite possibly for the next three rounds before we get to Le Mans and more and more data is accumulated. Friday is qualifying. We'll have it live on RS1, uh, Jippy uh, and me on the chatty bits. And it's the only place that you can get full live coverage, uh, full free live coverage across the weekend. Races on Saturday. And we could have quite a mixed up grid after qualifying on Friday, JP, because there's a, a a new qualifying format now that that means it's just single drivers and fast drivers in LMP2s could be as quick or quicker than the hypercars. Uh, easily. And you've also got a, a similar scenario across GT, uh, GTE Pro and AM. Um, now, I, I don't think there's a, there's a rule that says that you have to include one of the, the non professional drivers in am i need to uh you know bury myself in the in the um, regulations between now and then to confirm that but whereas before in am you had to use your bronze driver and then a free choice everyone went with their full out platinum or gold driver as a, as a combined time that no longer exists so yeah as we were saying about in the race during the preview you could get some overlap between pro and am and very definitely in the prototypes between hypercar and lmp2 it's going to be exciting Tim, uh, I just want to go back to the Toyota drivers because they're clearly um, very much in agreement on on their mood over the weekend. Uh, Mike Conway said it's been a challenging week from our side of the garage. Kamu Kobayashi, uh, it was frustrating, um, a tough two days for our car. Sebastian Buemi uh, also said... Uh, um, we'll have to push hard to improve the car. Kazuki Nakajima, uh, it is challenging out there. Brendan Hartley, we had nice sunny weather for both days. <laughs> and that from a Kiwi. Very good. He, yeah. he, it's, it's clearly uh, someone who's uh, been told, if you can't say something nice, say nothing at all. 
Yeah, true enough. Uh, Nick Damon is still with us. Um, I, I want to ask you a specific question, but I've got a couple of quotes here. Um, thanks to uh, Sportscar 365 uh, for these. Philippe Albuquerque, um, very sensible stuff. Um, he said, they can't give us LMP2s more weight because then we would need to go through FIA standards in terms of crash tests. They reduce the power. Well, even now, from La Source to Eau Rouge, we can barely pass a GT because we don't have enough power to go there. And we're on the load downforce uh, kit. The long stint's going to be very hard for us to drive. We take, talk in cold conditions. So if you take weight or, weight or down, add, add weight or take away downforce or power, it becomes very, very tricky to drive. But it does say, I think... In qualifying, it's going to be close to hypercars, but in the race, I think it'll be easy for them because their tyre behaves much better over the long run. Nick, you've been looking at the times uh, and the trap speeds and such like that, and you think that the Alpine is probably holding back more than anybody. Why? Well, because it's basically um, the same as a P2 car with better aerodynamics, more power, and less weight. So, Well, they've been given weight. weight. Yeah, yeah, but it's, they have more weight than they had as the P1 car, but still not as much weight as the P2 cars. And certainly they're running with an extra 100 horsepower and 50 horsepower. So you can't be it can't be slow everywhere. No, but they're saying they might be able to, might be able to switch the tires on. But even, I, I don't know. It's it does seem that if this is actually the best that Toyota could do, then Audi and Porsche have made a fantastically good decision. Uh, I tweeted today that I thought the performance versus investment coefficient for an LMDH is looking very strong right about uh, right about now. It's going to be a fascinating qualifying session. That's on Friday afternoon uh, in European times, and we've got the full six hours on Saturday as well. Uh, it is on RS1, www.radio-show.co.uk. Go to the bottom, and it will auto-convert to your times. And finally, Tim... Uh, well, before and finally, let's uh, find out what's coming up on On The Grid tomorrow at nine. This week on The Grid, an Aussie legend. John Bauer is our special guest in a wide-ranging chat, quite literally, about life, the universe and everything. JB is a two-time Bathurst 1000 and 12-hour winner and has plenty to say. And he also reflects on his superb open-wheel career too. Speaking of open-wheelers, we've got double Australian Drivers' Champion Tim Macro on the show this week as he seeks title number three in one of Australia's most storied motorsport awards. And yes, we're talking about our Aussie 560-horsepower S5000 wings and slicks races. Seriously, they're very cool. There's that and a whole lot more in a flat-out time for the sport down under. And we'd love for you to join us as well. It's on the grid, 9pm Thursday night UK time, only on RS1. And John, you said uh, after the IndyCar race, uh, when you woke up at the end, uh, you went straight to bed. What you should have done is switched over and watched uh, uh, Talladega. Uh, but Shay, this weekend's NASCAR uh, has got an even better name. The Bushy McBush Race 400, Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's taken part this week. If you'd said that in the quiz the other week, Tim, I would have said not a real race name. And you would have uh, got no points for it. 
I know, I know, absolutely. Stay tuned for historic racing news and the story of the McLaren F1 GTR Simcasts kicks it all off tomorrow at 8 o'clock. JP and me across the weekend on Friday and Saturday. And we've got the next round of the Nürburgring Langstrecker Series on Saturday with Bruce and Snowy. It's another busy one. Uh, have a great week and stay tuned for Paul Tarsi and guests next on RS1. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.